Okay, yeah, we're live. Um, so right off the bat, I wanted to ask, because uh, there's a lot of stuff. I don't know. It feels like a, a transformative time for me personally, and I know it's like kind of, you know, weather's changing. But, but how do you guys experience change? Uh, like big life events or personal growth or, or whatever it is. I mean. There's a story that someone told me that um, I think of because growing, changing, even if it's for the good, can be really uncomfortable. And uh, they, they just pointed out to me that, you know, a caterpillar is walking around very happy with its caterpillar life, understanding the rules of being a caterpillar, and suddenly it finds itself in a chrysalis, slowly turning to green goo. And that has to be a little bit horrifying if you're going to get into the head of a caterpillar. And I always think, respect the green goo, the times in our life where we're neither one thing nor the other. We're, we're not the butterfly. We're not the next stage or the next passage yet. We haven't crossed that boundary. That it's a very important, sacred space to be in and to embrace the discomfort. And I think the minute we just let an uncomfortable feeling in like that, it, it, we can hold it much better. And that always, that thought always helps me with change. Hmm. I, I, I think a better way of asking that too would be like, well, what is your, what is your personal relationship to change? Is it something you welcome? Is it something that can freak you out? Maybe? I mean, are you damn kids with it all? Yeah, question. <laughs> yeah. With your dungarees and your love beads and your LED lights. What's wrong? What's wrong with regular lights? Oh, they're not hip enough. Um, John, how are you with change? Uh, I can be really, it depends really. I love change. I mean, my, I'm here doing what I'm doing in my life now because of change. But sometimes when it's foisted upon me, I hate it. Mm. But when I'm the one that pushes it forward, I love it. I mean, I think change in many ways is something you have to initiate. Um, you know, if I hadn't, I'd still be in Erie, Pennsylvania. If I hadn't said, I'm not going to live this life, I'm going to change my life. And it's kind of been that way, you know, all through my life. But, you know... It, change in certain in ways is just it if if you don't want it and if you don't you don't expect it it's hard to deal with mm -hmm. Hmm. so i think the change at least for me that you may be asking the question about is the, the type of change you're not precipitating you're not pushing out there you're the change that's coming to you and sometimes that change is great and sometimes that change is horrible hmm. and i i don't think there's anybody out there that can deal with negative change well you just have to i don't know i think you being much older than you django i think that it's just something you have to keep waiting out and not freaking out i i think that's really it, it is about control i think to a certain degree and the uncomfortable change of being forced 
into things. I, I think it can be tolerated better if you just go, this is one of those uncomfortable things. And the the more I ride the wave of it, be the, the more you go up and down with the change, the less you struggle against it, the better you end up, I think. I think it's the struggle that makes change that is maybe not welcome so difficult. Well, yeah, I mean, for instance, I was here and I asked for a Kleenex. And you know what they gave me? A roll of toilet paper. <laughs> That's change I did not want. And I am now struggling through it. Well, paper products are still at a premium in this house. We yeah, take I it guess. seriously, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what, what was that moment uh, for you coming from Lake Erie to California? What, like, at what stage were you at in your life? And, mm. like, what, what brought you to, to making that decision? Well, I was, I was, I had, I got my teaching degree and I was hanging out in Erie and thinking, well, I guess I could be a teacher. Wasn't thrilled about it and started doing plays, which I had done in high school and junior high school and stuff. And I said, you know, this is what makes me happy. So I guess I have to keep doing it, but it's like, oh, okay. I have to go out. I have to somehow get to California and I've got to probably do a lot of jobs I don't want to do. And a lot of, it's not going to happen overnight for me. And that's exactly how it did unfold. Wow. How could you be so evolved as to know that? How old were you? Um, 24, I guess. At 24, I still had stars in my eyes, thought it would be, I would just do roles that I love to do. I didn't have any, and I was from a theatrical family, so I should have known better, but I really wasn't prepared for Hollywood the way it was, the jobs that you didn't want to do that you had to do to be able to get to the next level, the things that, the, the waiting. I'm impressed that you understood that. Well, I, I always thought that, I never knew I'd be married or have a family. I just kind of, I was kind of the one of those people that, uh, you know, the, in the Forrest Gump movie, the little feather that just goes on the wind. I always related to that. Mm. Now, mm. I never had a plan. I, I told my wife before we got married, I said, I just want you to know, I probably had a drink or two. And I said, I just want you to know <laughs> that I have no real goals or drive. So the door is right there. You're welcome to go. And she didn't, you know, she kept, she stuck with me. So now nowadays i tell her well you you had your chance <laughs> <laughs> that and the padlocks on all the, the pad, doors well, that, I, right. I think that affects her that, too <laughs> she there's some claw marks on the inside <laughs> of the door so trying to get out but no it's it's just i just figured why not i mean it's it, i'm in area i'm going to be what i'm either going to work as a substitute teacher or the general electric what could be what could be worse than that for me, I'm not saying it's a horrible job. I think a lot of people have a job like that and it's great, but it wasn't for me. I knew that from the beginning. So I thought, you know, I'd rather go out to California and maybe not make it, but the change is important in my life. Whatever that change ends up being, the act of changing is important.
So on this week's Sunday dinner, we have Jonathan Stark. Uh, you'll remember him as Billy Cole in Fright Night, Charlie in House 2, writer of Ellen, which you actually won an Emmy for. I was there that night. Unbelievable. Uh, executive producer and writer of According to Jim. Um, and You we, were there? I was there. At, oh the, at the Emmys? Yeah. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. We went in, they, they told us, I was trying to get into the, I think it was Vanity Fair. One. Mm -hmm. We were trying to get into the Vanity Fair one. This was before the Emmys. And they're like, not everybody can get in the Vanity Fair. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, yeah, I don't think so. So I got the Emmy and it was backstage. And uh, it wasn't Ellen, but it was uh, her partner at the time. And I can't think of her name. I, anyway, I, I said, I said, oh, this is great. I'd so love to go to the Vanity Fair party. And she said, well, you hold on to that. You can get in any party you want. And I did. I, I literally just held on to the thing. I walked in the <laughs> say anything. And there was Nana. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah. I don't remember why or how, but um, I was there. I found this article that was very interesting about the psychological reasons why people find uh, horror films really satisfying. And one of them is why I like watching Law and Order. It's, you know, New York and suddenly you find a body and what happened. That's a fear of mine. But it's in a safe environment. You know it's going to end. You you know you're, you can control it. You turn it on and you watch it. So it's kind of like a fear inoculation where you feel the feeling but you know you survive it so it kind of helps like a in, roller coaster basically. like a basically. same thing yeah. as a roller yeah. coaster it, you're a you're a horror movie fan i right? am yeah. yeah and i and i will tell you right now that 99 percent of most horror movies are really not very satisfying but there's that one percent that are just amazing have they gotten worse in general no i just think they've always been in fact maybe they've gotten better because if you go back and look at the 1950s horror films they're so awful yeah um, but uh oh, so well let, let me let me just find no, out no 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 i'm just, I, no, I'm I'm just not gonna, gonna let you do that no, i'm just gonna tell you what i found out uh from the psychological point of view uh researchers discovered that empathetic people tend not to like horror so much but if you score higher on manipulativeness and deceitfulness you show less sadness and disgust watching horror. Now, John, I have to admit, I have seen you I know watch coming. Stone Face. I know it's coming. The worst <laughs> things in a horror film. I'm just wondering. It just, it just, I'm just opening it up. I mean, how do you react? How can you, there are things, what is that human centipede thing? I can't watch that. Well, oh, I, don't, are, I don't really, I'm not into the slasher and the, the disgusting ones. I just, it's not interesting to me. I like atmosphere. Oh, okay. Like my favorite horror film of all time is the original um, uh, Haunting. The Haunting. <gasps> Me too. My favorite. Mm. Me too. With Claire Bloom and, and uh, uh, Julie Harris. And, the oh, red and ball Hammer. coming down the stairs. No, that's not it at all. No. I can't that, believe it. What is that? that? That's oh, not is it? So embarrassing. Isn't that Wait. it? The movie It? No, 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 no. There's a red ball coming down the staircase. No, it's Claire no, Bloom. No. And George Grizzard. No, no. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Can we just cut this part? We're out? cutting. Yeah, we're cutting this immediately. Something else. What I'm um. I'm a paranormal activity. I like those jump scare movies. Those are fun to me. But I don't. The psychological thrillers. I. They, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't really do anything for me. Even Psycho. You know, which is. A, 
objectively a great movie. I, I never felt really drawn to it, you know. But I love I love paranormal activity. You yeah, know you know great. one that is wonderful that is psychological, I'd say, is Don't Look Now. That it, is. Yeah. It's an old one with Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. And it has a love scene that was like, oh, at the time, because evidently they didn't they didn't pull any punches. They were really having sex and they filmed it. Um, so it's famous for that scene. But actually, the whole tension of the movie and Donald Sutherland's performance. Now, I haven't seen it for years, but I remember it knocked me out when I saw it. Mm. Yeah, it's well written and well directed. Yeah. But, you know. What you're talking about, empathy and stuff, and you know this, um, I do the horror cons. You do the Star Trek ones. Mm -hmm. But I have appeared at horror cons because I was uh, in Friday the 13th. I'm talking now. So, um, uh, um, I pulled uh, a little rank, didn't I? I'm, I'm Jason's mother, that's all. Okay. Um, I found the people, when, before I did my first horror con, I thought, oh, God, these people are going to be nuts. They are so nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's always a couple people who, you know, but they are so nice. And a lot of times I find there's a lot of people who have disabilities, um, autism, things like that, that come and come up to, or their parents come up with them. And, and you know, they're so wonderful. And I said to a parent one time I said why are there so many uh people here that have that that are have disabilities and things like that and he said because they fit in hmm. and I it, it really made so so much sense to me that's for Star Trek too yeah yeah I've heard, I've nobody heard judges similar them. about nobody Star judges Trek them they're just there to be part of the group and I love that about the 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 horror cons I, I absolutely love that yeah there are hmm. things that are more important than what you can't do it's what you can do exactly yeah and definitely in, in Star Trek, I mean, it's like a community of people that are all sort of outcasts who are working together to save the world. You know, that's the show. Mm, or, right? Well, brilliant. <laughs> Bri- I wouldn't say outcast. Have you ever seen the show? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 no, you're yeah. so wrong, Jay. They're all saving the world, right? Um, no, but uh, like, not outcasts, but, you know, off-center. Well... No, well, don't or forget. Or it's an inclusive community is a better way to put it. Like there's, everyone is represented in Star Trek. You want to shovel, keep digging that hole? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but this, is, this is the thing. He was brought up in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, yeah. where that was absolutely true. We were, you know, talk about diversity. I think that's one reason why we still live today is because that's what we were all about, figuring out this diversity diversity question and yeah it's not always going to be easy and nice and clean um you must have been on the set a lot too right i think i was on set um i get asked a lot if i was in it because there was a baby in the show um and no i would never have done it i wept <laughs> yeah that infant that they used um for the child that was timothy they- chalamet he went on to <laughs> have an incredible career <laughs> He showed promise as a newborn. He's uh, he's unbelievable. That could have been you, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, what they did is when I when I gave birth, they have this newborn and they have a baby wrangler, and the mother isn't allowed to touch the baby, 
and uh, they spread strawberry jam and something else all over it. And it was freezing cold oh. and crying and shivering. And the mother is going, oh, oh what did I sign up for? It's horrible. Oh, yeah. I never mm. would have let you do that. Never. Well, I... I Sign up for anything nowadays. They smeared strawberry jam all over. Yeah. <laughs> all right, but so you you come to L.A. from Lake Erie, and then not Lake Erie, Erie, Erie. I was I was not. They didn't live not. I did not live in the lake. <laughs> I lived in Erie. Wait, is is Lake Erie near Erie? Oh yeah, it's right on Lake Erie. Right on is lake, Erie. lake inside. Yeah, the, the, but there's the Lake town. Erie, and then there's Erie, the town. Right. Okay. <clears throat> um, and then you you come to L.A. and you start doing. Not right away. You don't. You don't start doing Nickelodeon shows right away. Or no. What no. What was your What was your progression like? Well, I went to San Francisco first, and I was there for about two years, and I bust tables, and uh, that was pretty much my job. I bust tables. How long did that last for? About about two years. I, I loved San Francisco. It was a great town. I used to buy my. I used to take a lot of pictures, with my and I with a film camera back then. And I used to buy my film from Harvey Milk. He had a, oh he had, wow! Yeah, he had a he had a, a store right on. I think it was on Castro, and it was right off the streetcar line. So I'd stop off and get my my film there. Wow! And um, from him personally, sometimes or? he was oh he was there a lot. Yeah, yeah. Wow. really. Yeah, That's it was really a, cool. it was a great place, great town, and a lot of friends. And I was in acting class there and acting school. And you know the best thing about acting school is you'd after after you'd do your classes you'd go to a coffee shop and talk for like five hours and drink eight cups of coffee hmm. Hmm. but those were great times can i address your your change thing more please <coughs> excuse me you can cut that out right um i think change is one of those things that is not ne it's certainly not expected usually but if you can accept it even if it's bad, if you can just sit with it. And I think what you said was right with control is the enemy of change because the more you don't want change, change is going to happen anyway. So the more you don't want it, the more you're just giving yourself bigger obstacles mm. to deal with mm. because change is going to do it's, it's going to do what it's going to do. And once it goes in motion, it's not going to stop. So you have to learn how to how to kind of let go, I guess. What's your relationship to control been as as you've gotten older? Have you kind of learned to lose or you know? I I find like I find myself like even even like recently I I look back and I'm like oh my god, I'm a little bit of a control freak and I didn't realize it in like a very subtle way. You know, it's just like little tiny things that I'm somehow micromanaging subconsciously. Um, and weirdly things that I didn't use to control as a kid. So I'm like, Oh, uh Oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta watch out for that. But, but that's know. part of it is just the awareness and to go, Ooh, uh, make a note of that. Sometimes that's all you need to do. Um, but to me, I'll let, I know you asked Johnny this, but I'm answering. <laughs> oh, great. I'm just going to go. <laughs> This is interesting. I think we should just do the, the pod between you and me, Mom. Yeah. This is good. Uh, well, this is uh, working. Uh, can I? Can I uh, I'll just <laughs> lower the mic volume. <laughs> um, the, to me, I, I, I forgot. 
control. Now I forgot. Control oh, as you get God, older. So sad. I know. Johnny, do you want to? <laughs> Let me handle this. Um, <laughs> the, oh, I know. I know. I know. What's your relationship to control? It's such a good question as you get older. For me, it's like being an alcoholic. Every day I have to recommit to uh, trying to allow life and to uh, to go with the waves, you know, the, the old saying, you know, if there are waves, learn to surf instead of, you know, struggling and panicking. Mm. Now, okay. Well, now, now you've said everything I was no. going to say. No, no, no. You, you must have an original thought there. Go ahead. No, I, I, I'm not, I don't, I, I think I'm not that much of a control person because my mother was such a control person. I kind of saw that and said, mm. no, I'm not going to do that. I think some people have more control issues than others. Some have super control issues. Some have a little bit. But whatever your level, I think you have to, like you said, you have to every day commit to going, okay, just let the breath out. Let let life, you know, obviously you have some input in your, in your you know, what happens in your life, but you don't have all the input. And to think that you do is kind of, starting your day off with a disadvantage. No. I noticed in my case, for some reason, like the, the, it would, it would, it would express itself as like judgment. You know, I, I would be judgmental towards things that I didn't even have any control or idea of, you know, it's like, why are these people living like this? You know? And I, 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 I don't know. I just felt it, it just kind of, I, I'd get frustrated and I'd get, start to spin out and it's like, why am, why am I doing that? Why, why am I freaking out over nothing? Well, over I think nonsense? the fact that you're questioning it is, is a huge thing. Yeah. Well, just starting to, it. yeah, I'm just, I'm just now starting to, and it's like, oh my God, it's so freeing to be like, cool. Well, people could do whatever they want. You know, everyone can yeah. just do whatever they want and that has no effect on me. Well, and you look at it, what you're doing, going through right now is change itself. Mm you know, is, is, is green goo. Yeah. That, that moment of, like you said, you're judging and then, and then you kind of let out your breath and go, okay, stop that. That's what I try and do. And I, I do have my judgment moments, but I try to stop myself and go, not your business, let it go. And it's, it's sometimes it's hard when we're judging ourselves or other people or events, we are distancing ourselves so that's you know and that feels like a safety but it's not it's we're 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 leaving the person we're leaving ourselves we're leaving the event instead of acceptance of what is we're going we're going within instead of staying you know going yeah. without and, and not being present because as soon as you go inside you're not present yep you did mention that you had a lot of well, you mentioned that your daughter is getting married. It was a lovely wedding. Um, but like, I, I know in, in your family, for example, there's a lot, if, if it's okay to talk about something personal, there's a lot of, there's a lot of new big life events going on. Mm -hmm. And does that, I mean, yeah, that, all good changes and all good growths, but like, uh, uh, does that ever feel like shaky ground and you're like, oh my God, there's so much going on this one year, like with, with the lockdown, with all these new things going on? No, I love it. I yeah. love all the new stuff because, you know, that's that's living your life. That's moving forward. You know, you don't ever want to just stay still. 
you got to always accept those things that move you forward and, and just, just embrace them. You know, like I've got a grand grandson now and I'm just nuts about him. I mean, I, I never thought I'd be that guy hmm. and I'm that guy who I just love him. I was like, I'm already buying presents for him for Christmas, you know? And it's just like the best thing I think you can do is just say yes to everything. Hmm. Well, Yes to the things you want. Right, yeah. Because uh, other, uh, what I have found is that I've been so inside other people's wants and needs yeah, well, that, that, yeah. that, that I start to lose who I am. And right. especially as a woman, we, we have been educated to see to the family, to see to children, to see to everybody. We're, there, there's a certain tone we're supposed to keep. And I find that if I don't have a no inside of me, if no isn't a complete sentence, and it is, and, it, and it's heard and um, listened to, I feel like, I start to feel like I don't exist. If I say no to someone and they say, no, 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 that's all right, we're going to do that anyway, something I've said no to, I suddenly am... Uh, I have no form. I have no presence on the earth. So no is also really important, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, did she not hear me? Because I pretty I, much said I, I that. I think you're Django. jumping on my bandwagon now about the no thing because you were like, say yes to everything. Oh, my God. Well, I, I honestly do feel that the reason I am here now and what I've done in my life, if I had, I have said yes, even the things I thought I didn't know if they'd yeah. pan out or not, but yeah, the things that are obviously, there are certain things you have to say no to, but that's a whole nother podcast of, of saying, what Boundaries. do I want? What do I want mm -hmm. as opposed to what everybody else wants of me? But I know what you're saying. The things that scare you are really important that that could be opportunities. Those are really good to say yes to. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 no, in terms of boundaries. Yeah. Like I'm saying no to the Cuban pork. I, I have no interest in no, that. No, you're uh, not. You're going to love that. Here's, here's something interesting. And I, I know we're kind of jumping around on all, all sorts of different topics, but like ba going back to, okay, you're in San Francisco, you're developing your film with Harvey Milk, you're waiting tables and, you know, in, in that journey where, where, what was a personal shift that you ended up making or was it? just slow and gradual and patience? Or did you notice that there was like one thing that you started doing differently that made opportunities start coming towards you and made, made you more successful in your work maybe? I think, well, when I came out to San Francisco, the way I did it was I, like I said, I was an eerie kind of going to bars and going, well, I guess I'll be a teacher. So I thought, well, I'll get a job teaching summer camp. So I taught summer camp and I met this girl there and she said, I'm going out to San Francisco. I said, well, so am I. Let's go. So I went. And, and that's when I said, well, there's an act. Somebody said, there's an acting, acting school. Are you interested? And I said, yeah. So I took the acting school. And then I was there for two years and took the classes and then came down to L.A. And I found a, a, part, a room in an apartment in L.A. And I, was, I only had a motorcycle. So I was driving up and down Sunset Boulevard. And I didn't know a soul down here. And I hear, hey, hey, John Stark. I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this? So I stop, and it's a guy that was in my acting class in San Francisco who we both took 
an improv class together. It was the only first class I ever took, and it was like just three classes. And he said, "Hey, I'm doing this. Uh, I'm doing. I'm. I'm. I'm doing some improv at this company called the LA Connection. You want to check it out?" I said, "Yeah, sure. Yeah." So mm-hmm. I went, checked it out. I got in. I met all these great people that I still know today, and that was how I started doing improv. So it was one of those things in that case where I just kept saying, "Yeah." And mm. it took me to where I needed to go. So it wasn't any kind of like now you're waking up at 5 a.m. every day and you're suddenly, you know, achieving everything that you always dreamed of. It was just like it was <laughs> 5 just 5 like, a.m. He thinks I wake up at 5 a.m. <laughs> uh, it it no. was just like it was just saying yes. And, and gradually, eventually things started to come into place. No, I, I know people that I, I was listening to Martin Short's uh, autobiography on uh, on audible and he was saying he had this list of things that you do every day you know and, i've heard that list too yeah it's, and yeah. a lot of a lot of actors have like real that you know this is what i have to accomplish is i was the opposite of that mm. i had none of that i just kept going well i guess you know today will be a good day and hopefully something will happen and how did you feel about failure when you had an audition that was horrible how well, did you did it devastate you or did you go eh? some some did you know, I mean, I, I'm the first person to go, oh, God, no wonder, no wonder you didn't get it. You're awful. You're awful. You know, but it usually only lasts for a day and then I'm okay. That's pretty good. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't drag me down. It only drags me down for a little bit and then I go have some candy or something and I'm fine. <laughs> it's so easy with you, Johnny. I didn't know. If we ever have an argument, I'll just have candy with me. Yeah, because the argument won't even start if you just fill me full of candy. In fact, there's a candy bowl right behind you. There is. There is, but all the $100,000 bars are gone. Oh, well, forget it. Yeah. No. Is that your go-to, 100000 100, Anything that's candy is really my go-to. Yeah. And I, they're probably called 100 grand bars, aren't they? Yeah, they're they, not. No, that's they, so sad that you said that. Yeah. So you obviously don't know anything about them. No, I just eat them all. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't eat them all because you're not, you're, you're totally in, in, sh- in shape. So you don't eat them all. I know that. I, they're all gone. From that huge that candy. That must be Matthew. No, because he complained. He said, where are they all? <laughs> I just want to see. You know, when my oldest daughter was young, she loved candy bars. Oh, my God. Gracie. I remember. So we would, where's Gracie? We'd find her under the dining room table eating candy bars. I've never <laughs> seen anyone be able to eat candy bars the way Gracie did. Did they? I think that we had a candy party at one point. Oh, yeah, you did. Were Gracie and Ruby at that? Uh, they came to your candy. They came you're to the, the candy one, party. You're the one who said, "Hey, I'm organizing a candy party." I was a candy freak. You were. I loved candy. Yeah, and you organized it, and the candy arrived. We sent away for it because you had very specific things you wanted at this candy party. All the powders and the yep. the, what, what, the yep. drops and stuff like that. You, I wasn't a big chocolate head, but I liked I liked those. You would have thought you were this huge club organizer. You know, and I think you were seven, something like that. But it was really deadly serious to you. Mm. And it was good. Well, you're you're what, twenty four now? Twenty five. Twenty five. Oh. For twenty six, your birthday's twenty six. Candy party. Candy party. Candy I party. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was reading an article that said that men really have a hard time, especially during the pandemic, but not just during the pandemic, all the time with loneliness, that they don't put the work into keeping close friendships. 
um, with other men and that there's a real loneliness to that. Uh, how, how true is, is that for you? I'll say, um, well, cause yeah, moving around a lot, I didn't have like a core group of friends. And so only starting in college and, uh, recently have I had like, you know, a circle of, of best friends and I've been through, you know, my fair share of breakups. And I will say that there's, there's a lot to that because this time or the most recent breakup I experienced, it was like immediately I was surrounded by my friends. I was loved by my friends and I was like, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it we, 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 we created a, another community, you know, mm. and, and it was, it was beautiful. And, um, yeah, I think that, I think that kind of not being afraid of having, you know, close friendships is, has been a, um, a very transformative, uh, thing for me in my life. Do you uh, think you were afraid to have close friendships before? Because we moved around so much. Yeah, I think it was harder just because, uh, yeah, there there were a lot of groups that were already established, and 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 you know, it, it would take so much uh, effort and confidence, and like you know, to 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 join those groups and be like, hey, you know, here I am, you know, like, you know, I I, I found that skating was a really cool way to to make friends growing up because you like, you all, you're all like, it's there was a movie. Uh, directed by Jonah Hill, uh, called like, I don't know, a kids, it wasn't kids, but it was kids like, and it was all about skating. And there was a big moment at the very end where this kid who's struggling to get in with the group ends up doing like a crazy Ollie and, and like risking his life to, you know, in front of everybody. And, and he like lands it or falls, but it, it, it didn't matter in skating. Cause you just, you take risks and people get to see you mm. expressing that you are someone who can take risks or who is not afraid of danger. You get to, it's like a, it was a very safe way as a kid to express emotions in a way. Um, so that, yeah, that, that was cool for me. But, um, when I, when I kind of got grew out of that, it, it got harder, but, but yeah, I think, I think now that I do have that you know, core group of friends, I, you know, we've, we've really been there for each other through everything darker, you know, challenging. And it's, it's made it all like an adventure instead of, you know, something that you're just on your couch all day, uh, doom scrolling, you know, uh, like a dating app or something like that, which is, I've been there too. And it's just not, it's just not a great, not a great, uh, not a great energy to be experiencing in life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How about you, Johnny? You know, I, one of my crackpot theories is, I do really believe this, that men, we're not supposed to be as close as women are with each other. It's not in our DNA. You know, when we were, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we were the people that went out into the woods for days, weeks at a time to hunt and bring it back. And the women, for the most part, went, you know, stayed around the cave with the children, talked with the other women. And now I'm not saying that this can't be reversed in, in with many people, but I do think for men, it's always felt as though, 
and I, I have no problem being close to men. I've done some men's groups, you know, where, where he, um, you know, Xander Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I did one with Xander and it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. But there was still always when you were hanging out and talking to each other and feeling close, it was just not the way, not quite the same as when women, I mean, I grew up, I, I grew up raised by my mother and grandmother and I, I live with three women. I live well, with three Valley girls. Do you think that could be part of it, that you didn't have that experience of well, having a, a mentor who's a man? And and there's almost something uh, deeper about the intimacy of being on a hunt, you know, or, or that that notion of, like, the, the kind of camaraderie that, you know, I don't want to say men should experience, but, like, in, in our, you know, historical context, uh, we, we do experience. Like, that... I don't know. I, and obviously we don't, well, I don't know if you're a hunter, uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> there we, I, I'm I, a gatherer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that there, I think that there's, you know, I, I, I feel it's important to find a new way to express that idea, you know, of we're on a hunt together or we're doing this or that together and, and having that community. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just, starting to learn. Oh, I'm, I'm all in favor of that. But the, the, there's a big thing in our society that we have not addressed yet. And that's men's alienation. I mean, most of the people that go out and start shooting are men. There's Mm. very few women. And a lot of that has to do with anger. That's not, you can't talk about it. You can't express it. It builds in you because you have no way to, you don't have anybody to talk with. And I'm sure I'm not saying that's the only problem. There's always always mental problems too, but there is there is a thing with men where we can't be the same as women. I've seen women together and hanging out and it's just they just start talking about stuff. It's like they haven't seen each other or that like they've seen saw each other 10 minutes ago even if it's been a year. Guys are always like first like, hey, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, the sports. And then, then maybe you might start talking about other stuff. But there's there's a difference. But I think it's learned behavior. Look, starting after World War II, well, during World War II, the men went to war. <laughs> we send men to war. The women, like Rosie the Riveter, have to take these jobs uh, and can and have agency and do it and the the men go through the hells of what they experience then when they come back our society said okay men now you have to be you just shh all that stuff put it all away and deal and women let go of that agency and just support the man so that we can get back to what it's supposed to be. What a disaster. Women feel frustrated. Men are shut down, not allowed to go through what they, the, the horrors of war. That's, and, and then, and, and put these two together, that's just disastrous. And, and those are the men and women that taught us. Right, I agree. I mean, I think that is societal. There's no question about that. But there's something even that goes back a lot further in my opinion, that men, it's, it's not that men can't overcome it, but it's so much harder than women. I think it's women just naturally, for the most part, again, not every woman, but a lot of women naturally just 
flow like that? I think because they they mimic it as children. They see you've seen the videos of a a three year old girl. She can't even speak yet, but she's on the phone exactly mimicking the 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 laughter of her mother and the gossipiness and she goes through all these emotions and it's and it's obvious she just watched her mother do it it's not her and i think women learn from a young age that community that uh, ability that women have and men have not been shown how to do it well, that's, or that's that it's true. okay. Yeah. yeah. No, we, we, we have necessary. So you're in these towers alone. I think your generation Django is, is actually getting way better. I think we started a, not started a theory. We, you know, we're not, we're, but I do think that the generation right beneath me is like perfecting it. I, I think that those kids are, uh, like 20, you mean? Rocking it. Yeah, I, I see them and, and they're, I, I don't know, because, you know, we don't, we don't really have a, a draft anymore and we don't have hunts and, you know, it, 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 I mean, there's there's so many different ways that that energy can be uh, uh, funneled, you know, and a lot, a lot of them are, uh, you know, challenge, challenge us. Right. Like, um, but, uh, I do think that there, that there's something cool going on where, you know, I think my generation in particular kind of had to, we're the, like the overcompensation generation where we like went really far to break down boundaries and, you know, like, (laughs) like make things okay, make emotions okay for men, blah, blah, blah. But I think what I, what I admire about the next generation, at least from what it seems, is that they're like, they're kind of easing into it and they're, they're, they're more developed and it's all more natural to them. And, you know, I mean. That's a evolution. But the good news, I think, is that we can all cultivate that. At any age, we can cultivate, we can decide that these are the, way, the ways we're going to think and what we want in our lives. And also in this article I read, and... They said, choose a day. One thing for women, we get to, we, you know, book clubs, this, whatever. You make a date and you keep it, whether you feel like it or not. You went, ugh, it's Friday and a book club will do it. And I think for men, men have to get into that space too of this is the day once a month that, you know, we all do one thing, bowling or whatever thing it is, watch a game, you know? I, it, it's just that community where the talk, you, you have something going on, but it's not about the thing going on. It's about the way you communicate together while that thing is going on. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I, I'm, I think, I think what I'm, maybe what I'm trying to say is that, that men can have a sense of community. It's just harder. Mm-hmm. It's a harder thing to do because mm-hmm. it's not in our DNA. It's also not in our upbringing. So we have to work twice as hard as a woman, as women to, to talk together to be that. You do have to work at it. You have yeah. to work at friendships. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we Just, have we have no we don't have the same example. I think it, as well. It's like you know we exactly we you know I you your guys' generation all the all the men were cold and you know so it's like we 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 don't we, we're all not not to say that you know 
anyone has it harder in general, but like, you know, like, it, yeah, it, it, they're, it's not even that they were cold. A lot of them, it was just that it was not part of their upbringing. You had some great fathers, but also here's another thing. Women have traditionally been in charge of the social aspect of yeah, family. Absolutely. Uh, men have been kind of divorced from, okay, the children need to go to this party and why don't we see so-and-so on Friday night? And, and you should have that responsibility as well. Shh, because my wife yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because first of all, it's way too much for women to always have to worry about the tone of the family and the social engagements. It's a lot. But if you shared that, you would be much more able to manage it for yourself yeah, but as here's, well. Let me explain one thing. Last night I was going, <laughs> You're out, to, panicking. I was going out to walk the dogs <laughs> and um, I had on a, a plaid shirt and I put on a plaid jacket over it. And she goes, you going to go out like that in two plaids? I said, it's 930 at night. I'm walking the dogs. Nobody's going to see me. So most guys would be like, "Yeah, who cares?" I go out in my in my pajamas. I I I do a walk in my pajamas. What so, was the two plaids? Know. I think it was the two plaids thing. That's that's worse than. <laughs> no, that's 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 cool. No, but but wait a minute. But but what is that? You know, this is this is you. You know, look at this shiny object over here. Don't deal with what I just said. The shared aspect of the social engagement. I'm sorry. Is is they're not talking? <laughs> sorry. See, I knew it. Um, I know I agree with you. Absolutely. Women uh, have always been given that role of the social. And I was happy. And to you give get that, good at it. And I was happy to give that to Linda. It was like even at our wedding, she did most of it. And I was OK, because it's not demanded of us. So we're right. going to go like, OK. Yeah. But after a while, it gets to be a heavy load. We did that because that's what we were told we had to do, you know, and that I, I'd love for us all to look at those rules and regulations. And your generation is, and the generation after you, obviously, is. I don't know any 20-year-olds. I don't know anyone underneath. Yeah, can you guys, while you're at it, can you do something about climate change, please? Because I was watching Bill Maher last night, the other night, and he said... Um, he had a really interesting thing about that. Yeah, our generation's blown it. It's we, we've not done a good job, but neither has Gen Z. And that that Greta Thurberg, who is magnificent, and has or Kylie Jenner has twenty eight times the number of followers as Greta Thurberg. Yeah, that's that really, really something to away. think about. That's really something to think about. Yeah, but so what was? Would you would you be cool like elaborating further on what like growing up for you was like like what what your social dynamics were like and wow, you know I was uh, I mean I was not popular I was kind of a uh, I was I, I I I hung out with my kids and my friends in the neighborhood and we played football and baseball and stuff so it wasn't like I was a reckless or anything but I didn't even have a date until I went to my high school prom that was it you lost your father young didn't yeah, you? yeah he was nine when he so i didn't really have that uh you were nine yeah i was nine mm. yeah and uh so i didn't really and my grades went to hell and and everything so and of course my mother 
who didn't know what to do, mm-hmm. sent me into the, the principal's office. And the principal said, if you don't, if your grades don't improve, we're going to paddle you every day. Oh, so of God. course that doesn't work so well. Oh God. And then sent me to, uh, to uh, therapy with this at this place where all I remember was there's a bunch of hoods and one guy had pistol whipped his mother and the other and I was just a guy who you know my mother wanted me to talk but she wouldn't talk with me about the death of my father she wouldn't she wanted to send me to somebody else to talk about it but you know we were <sighs> Episcopals and when, when you know when you feel anything with your with Protestants you instead of saying anything you just bring a covered dish and you don't talk about things so I still have trouble talking about stuff but you know thank God I have a a wife that who you know is willing to sit down and talk about stuff and then after a while I I start talking but I think that's another thing with guys a lot you know it's it's harder for us to talk about stuff like that do you think that uh, your mother uh, kind of discouraged you from dating I mean, usually... No, she wanted me to date. She did. I I think she thought I was gay for a while because I just was was not going out with any girls. I was afraid to ask girls out. It was a a confidence thing. It was a confidence thing. And and she enrolled me in ballroom dancing, which is like, oh, Lord. And I used to have to dress... That doesn't work. No, no. That doesn't get... I used to have to dress in a a suit. This was on a Saturday. Instead of hanging out with my friends, I had to dress in a suit and wear white gloves and the girls had on chiffon dresses. And I used to... And you'd have to go up to them and bow and say, may I have the honor of this dance? And I I would be terrified to do that. So I always danced with the instructor. What are they training children to do anyway? That's like from the 18th century, isn't it? I mean, that doesn't even exist. I can still do the Lindy. Oh, great. (laughs) I've got to see that, Joe. Well, I I have to brush up on it a little bit. All right. I mean, I almost feel like, I don't know, an aside, but I feel like it would be kind of cool to know how to do like some random obscure kind of dance, like a, I don't know, whip it out. A tango, uh, you know, at one. A tango would tango. be cool. Tango is yeah. still tango is con- considered cool, but uh, I don't. I don't think anybody wants to see a Lindy. <laughs> what say, is, say what consider is a Lindy? ten times. What? Say considered ten consider times. Considered ten times. Oh, consider. Oh, I said, okay. Consider ten times. <laughs> consider, consider, consider. I said fine. Oh, oh. That, was no, pretty consider, good. Oh, that was pretty consider. good. Ma. All right, know. all right. I I'll let it go. The first one was a little iffy. You make one mistake. That's right. I'm on you. What? What is a Lindy? I don't know. Oh. I, I probably, like I said, I couldn't do it now. Yeah. I do remember the Charleston, kind of. It, Lindy is, I think it's 1940s big band when you, you know, when you think of people in bobby socks and the girl is thrown up in the air and down to one side and the other side and it's Oh, really very quick. Active. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. high cool. energy. Yeah. So, high of course, energy. at the end of this ballroom dancing thing, the last class, they invite your parents. So, <laughs> my mother comes and she considered herself quite the dancer. So she'd be doing the Charleston out there and be like, I wanted to die. <laughs> did you dance with your mother? I, I, I think I probably did, but I put it out of my head. I don't yeah, remember it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll leave that buried. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. No. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Thanks. Nana. <laughs> but, but so it was, it was sports. It was sports were kind of like your, connection to yeah, I mean, people but, but and not know. i didn't play in the like a football team in high school i did track but yeah. i i played you know sandlot baseball and football with my neighborhood friends and was, the drama club or theater uh i did i did drama club when i was in a thing called the mill players which was we, you know they did 
they did a show like they do Anything Goes and The King and I and those kind of popular musicals. And they do it for two weekends. But it's really fun because I got to hang, hang out with a lot of people. I would paint sets and, and I had small roles. I didn't have like leads. I don't think I had the voice for it. So I would have smaller roles, but I, I loved it. It was a great way to spend the summer. And I did it for like two or three years. So was that one of the attractions to being in the business, this sense of commu- community with crew and other oh, actors? Yeah. yeah, and my dad was an actor, uh, local, did local productions. He did all kinds of productions. The Erie, Erie Playhouse when it was, mm. when it was, I think it's still going, but uh, yeah, he did shows there. Wow. He, I still have his old makeup box. Wow. So you feel a real connection to him oh, yeah. with acting. Oh, yeah. He would have been proud of me. I wish he would have been able to see it, but, you know, he would have loved it. Hmm. So I, I, this one I couldn't figure out. You did a documentary with Roddy McDowell called From Apes to Bats. No. <laughs> that was the, that was that was the other. <laughs> that was, if there's another Jonathan Stark that did that, that I don't the know other why. Jonathan Stark. <laughs> that was under your IMDb. Well, I don't know. I never did a documentary with Roddy. How about Family Guys? What sitcoms say about family now? I so, did that. I did so that. you are responsible. Let's just talk about, uh, according to Jim, I remember you going, oh, they're going to change the name of the show. And you sold this show, this this script that you wrote, and it became a show that lasted nine years? I think eight years, 187 episodes. Oh, my Jeez. God. It's, yeah. I mean. I know. It was unbelievable. I mean, I remember when we wrote it. I said to my writing partner at the time, Tracy, I said, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll write it, you know, we'll turn it in and we'll go nowhere. And so you got, yeah, we want to do it. Okay. You'll do a pilot. It'll go nowhere. Okay. Now we're going to, we, we, the pilot, we're going to pick up the pilot. It'll go six episodes, never going. I just, I was always the guy that wanted to make sure I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> so I always said the worst thing that could, I still do that. I always say the worst thing that could happen. So that way, anything that happens good, I'm very happy about. Mm. What was the secret to that success? Why did it go so long? Uh, you know, people just, they, for some reason, it was during the, the, the Bush years. And I think people just wanted to see a family and, and wanted to see a guy just trying to you know, have a family and do the right thing. Although he always, of course, because it's a sitcom, he'd do the wrong thing. Um, I, people would come up to me and say, oh, it's like you have a camera in my house. Oh. And I'd go like, and she, he's just like my husband. And I wanted to say, I'm so sorry. Because, <laughs> we, you know, we made him larger than life. We made him kind of, you know, he was, in real life, he'd, nobody would like him and he'd be divorced and his kids would hate him. But it's a sitcom, so you kind of give you know, a little bit on, on the characters and you go, well, you know, yeah, our family's a little like this, but I, and it was based off me. My, my kids are named the same Ruby and Gracie and, you know, my long suffering wife, Linda is, yeah, (laughs) you're nodding. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it, it it was based on me because most of the stuff I write, I, I has to come from some part of my life. Because that's where I know the details from. I, mm. I've got some stuff now I'm writing that's really basic, based on parts of my life or my wife's life. So it, what it said about the American Family, your show, 
was the state of the American family is, it's not perfect. Do you no. think? No, and the, and the one thing when we wrote it, we said there's never going to be like marital problems. There's never going to be divorce. None of that. There's a solid couple. Hmm. Doesn't mean that they're, you know, it's always a functional relationship, but they're solid. There's never like, gee, I don't think I can do this or whatever. So in my opinion, you know, which is just my opinion, yes, it's, it's about American family. You get through everything, but, but you never go well. There's, there's, plenty of movie, there's plenty of TV shows on about people getting divorced, and I just didn't want to watch that. I agree. And, and obviously, a lot of America did yeah. at the time. Yeah, they wanted to know that. I think what you said is right. They wanted to know, even though things aren't perfect, you can get through it. So if you were going to write a show now that had a message for American families for today, and you don't have to think about selling it or making it, you know, available to executives who would do it. What would you, what do you think American families need to know now? I think the same thing. The same thing. I, I can't see why it would be any, it, it's been that way for, you know, hundreds of years. It's like, yeah, this is, this, you know, having a relationship is like an extra 40 hour a week job, you know, that you have to put in all this time. But if you're willing to put in the time and willing to listen and willing to just kind of understand that, okay, we're not going to that place. We're, we're going to deal with what's happening right now. We're not going to go, gee, I, maybe we should split up. That, that to me is, that's timeless. Hmm. And very powerful. Yeah. So I much mean, so it oh, caused you guys a are speechless. Huge. Both of, both of, no, both of you. You're, you're both <laughs> crying. I can, oh my God, look at them crying. Is, <laughs> oh my, I, I, I didn't mean, but it was wonderful what I said. <laughs> Well, it was. You're good at these moments. I have to say, um, seeing you at your daughter's wedding, you, the the father of the bride speech was, you, you pretty much knocked that out of the park. I think you could make a small fortune writing father of the bride speeches <laughs> and selling them because that's what you said and the way you said it was exactly what you want to hear. But, you know, I have to say my favorite part was I this, this was the day before I wrote the speech, because I waited, of course, till the last minute. And I put a thing on my Facebook page and I said to my friends, I said, you guys are all funny. Please tell me your funny and or touching suggestions about what makes a marriage successful. I got probably 50 suggestions. I whittled it down to 20. Wow. And I read them because I thought, I, I, you know, I don't know what that, what the, I have a few things, but I really want somebody else's perspective. And I thought that was the most fun of it to, to hear everybody else, you know, say funny things. And then there were a few at the end that were really touching and, you know, great. Yeah. So successful marriage, what is it? What you just don't give up, communicate and keep going. And clear your browser history. <laughs> 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 so we have uh, we have this framed um, oh, God. piece that says I will not throw my drink in the fire and I had you sign it yeah uh, tell us about that Johnny well I can tell you my perspective which is probably not your perspective All I right. was having a good time and I was trying to make everybody enjoy it even more 
Yeah. So I took my drink. Well, I, I was having, I guess, Manhattan or something. You were having a Manhattan. I should mention that we have a big round table with like a fire pit in the middle of it. Yeah. And I had had, okay, maybe it was my third Manhattan. And there was a beautiful fire going in the center. And I had a little bit left and I didn't particularly want to finish it. So, and I think Jango was sitting right next to me. Possibly. Yeah. And, and I, I just took what was left and threw it in the fire and went, whoom, like that. <laughs> Did you know the fire would go so high well, and possibly singe people? No, I didn't know it would go that high. Yeah, it was it was impressive. Was that the same night or a different night from the one that ended up with the mug? And I, no, no, that was a different That was a different <laughs> oh, night. No, let, please, let's not go there. Can we, can we please go there? <laughs> no. Okay, so oh. those, were, those were two. I'm really not a heavy drinker. I just want you to know it just happened Disclaimer. to be those nights. And I don't traditionally over-serve, but Linda is always your designated driver. Yes. So yeah. that's important to point out, too. Yeah. But uh, other parties, have you had disastrous, other uh, without us present, other disastrous party experiences, parties of your own? Uh, no, but the only party I remember before that that I got really, really wasted was Lisa Kudrow's wedding. <gasps> uh, Lisa, had, I was at the wedding, and they had oh, no. all these drinks before it. And then they had drinks afterwards, before you even got in the, the, the restaurant or the place we ate. And then they had toasts. And then they had champagne during dinner. And, the, and uh, oh, no, they had wine during dinner, and then champagne toasts after, and then liqueurs. It was just too much. And and I, of course, wasn't. But I remember driving down the 101. Oh, God. And oh. Linda, not not me driving, Linda was driving, but I was in the passenger seat watching everything go by like this and going, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. And, you know, of course, we've all you know prayed to the porcelain God, and that's that was my... <laughs> was it day. in the car? No, no, it was not in the car. Okay. No. All right. Um so we we know Lisa because we all did a play together. You did the ladies' room. And, well, I always think of you doing it as well because you did one of the first readings with us. That's where I, I met did. you for the first time. I knew Lisa from... Lisa was in my improv group for... Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. In, yeah. Oh, which is why you probably came to do the reading. You. Um, I can't remember. No, because of Robin. Robin Schiff. Robin She's the Schiff. one that asked me to do it. Oh. And Robin was a friend... Uh, Robin was the writer of The Ladies' Room and then ended up writing um, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Wonderful person, great writer. And um, yeah, she asked me to come and do it. So you all, yeah, this was a new world for me. Uh, you all seemed to know each other. You were from this, you were groundlings and that whole world of improv. We tried to freeze you out as best we could, but you just yeah, wouldn't have it. I just won't, um, yeah, I just keep coming back for more. Yeah. Um, how long, so, how long were you in Groundlings for? Only about two years. Mm. I, I was not a lifer there. So many people are. I loved doing improv, but sketches was something that I liked, but I didn't love. And, and so I decided to go back and do theater. Mm. And actually, the first theatrical production I did after that, uh, Jackie Birch was there, who cast Fright Night, and brought me in for that. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Groundlings, for people that don't know, I mean, it's just like, kind of like the mecca of oh comedy it's a great place LA. i mean there's wonderful yeah. there's so many talented people there i i love that place and it just wasn't you know i just knew i, I just felt like i wasn't gonna be somebody who's there for 10 years it wasn't my thing but i still love doing improv i still do improv shows around town mm. 
Yeah, you're so funny in them. I love watching you do them. I've watched you do them for years. Oh. But I want to go back to parties that didn't work out. Maybe one you gave. Or embarrassing embarrassing moments in front of people. Or yeah. Something like that. Well, I wish I had brought a list. <laughs> uh, gosh, I, I'm trying to think of embarrassing moments or parties that I gave that I honestly... I don't really give that to many parties. I'm not like a big... You're a... You like can do parties like nobody's business. Yeah, I love parties. The parties to me, and my wife can do them a little better, but I would just be no thanks. I I, I can't put it on. I don't have. We have to know. make we have to make you give one so that we get some embarrassing moments out of him. I do want to. You know what stories. I want to do? I want to do a Christmas party one of these years and do um, have like fifty people and do um, karaoke. I. Would love that. Okay. You've been threatening that for a couple of years. You and now. I well, sang karaoke. Oh. We did Islands in the Stream, I believe. Oh, I think that's many right. Year, many years ago. I remember that I would very love, well. Love to see that. It, you probably will, and it'll be horrifying. <laughs> I was I was pretty good. She was not so. No, good. I'm not. I'm not good at karaoke. I I'm a, an enthusiastic watcher of karaoke. I love it. I love watching people do it. I love when people are incredible at it. Um, when I go on the cruise, there are people that are scary good. Oh, it's I like, know. Yeah, what? Really good. And you go, you should be doing this professionally. Yes. You're so good. Yes. Mm. It's it's weird, but I'm not I'm not really good. I don't sing well. The only time I can sing is if I've had a lot of um, rehearsal. Seth MacFarlane, who has this epic Christmas party every year, I've of heard course. About that. Oh my God! It's it, it's. I've never seen anything like it. And he's got this huge, huge orchestra on this huge stage that's built. And he sings, of course, he sings beautifully. And he came running up to me and said, hey, come on, sing Fever. And it was like, no, I, I don't even know. I can't, I'm not one of those people that can turn to the band and go, okay, let's take this and see, you know. Kia C, all right, let's go. I, I wouldn't, I'd be like, oh, where's my note? I couldn't do it. I have to rehearse. Wow. Well, uh, I, it's an interesting story. I wish I could have get invited to one of Seth's things. But in, oh, you Seth, if you you're listening, there? I will not throw a drink in your face. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, do you remember Helen? My um, this. She was an embarrassing moment at many parties um, because she was just absolutely beautiful uh, she was a party poodle, which means multicolored poodle. Um, it, I used to think it meant that they liked parties, but it's a multicolored standard poodle. And she just vomited all the time. And she would, but she wore pearls. I, she loved her, her strings of pearls. She had several of them. And I'd walk her in Central Park and people would stop and tourists always wanted to take pictures of her. She was really gorgeous, but like a bulimic model would just come out at the most inopportune time of a party and just it was like three days worth of food came out of her. And that was always a party stopper. <laughs> it's hard to keep the party going after that. So, uh, you know, she's going to be, you know, she, you're sure she didn't throw a drink at some point because. Yeah. I, no, no. No, it's she just, didn't. She just no, threw Just up. get in the middle of people, certainly get on either a sofa or the carpet and vomit. 
voluminously. Well, that I, was her specialty. I do want to just tell quickly, because you had mentioned, Django, the, the mug. And I was at a Thanksgiving, and again, I had had way too many Manhattans. And I don't remember too much about it, but I remember saying, I, I have to go and sit in the, the, the back bedroom. And so I just had my hands and my, my head in my hands and, and I think a bag next to me. And, and Matthew said, uh, or, or I get, apparently Matthew said to me, I'm going to go take a picture of him. And you, of course, said no, because you wouldn't. I did say no. I said, <laughs> don't you dare. Matthew is my husband. And to his credit, he actually had the wherewithal to think about getting material on you like this because both his bosses were present at this Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> and his, one of his best friends is just almost dipping into his chestnut soup. It was... It was, it was unbelievable. But instead of being worried about it, he was like, ah, I, you know, he was tactical. It was like, I've got to get a picture of this. And he did. And it was an and epic then, picture. For my Christmas present, he sent me a coffee mug with the picture of me with my head in my hands with the bag near me. That yeah. My, I still have that cup. <laughs> I mean, all, all I remember that night, I was like 18 or something like that. But I do remember, because I had I'd, I'd had practice already at that point at high school parties. I do remember shouldering you i remember you doing that i, I remember propping you out of the door and yep. to safety in the car yep. um yeah uh, to be fair i think here is the only time you drink which is one of the issues you don't <laughs> normally have cocktails <laughs> and then you come here and i give you you know strong ones you do and uh, well but i don't drink men hands anymore there's those are just too strong well, like a teenager who never touches tequila again after their first time with tequila. It's well, probably got, disgusting. You've got this good tiki drink for me now, and it's very good. It's tasty, and it's not all alcohol. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's some, uh, you know, my favorite ingredient to that drink, falernum. I mean, for Where'd tiki. Where you find this stuff? You, what, what is falernum? Falernum is, a, it's a sugar syrup that is, it's, well, not even a syrup. It's this very thick globular stuff that is based on uh, almonds and spices that I think Trader Vic, the the bartender who started Trader Vic, uh, developed. And it's, when you add it, it's like, okay, there, you can have pineapple, you can have coconut, you can have rum, but until you add falernum, it's just not a tiki drink. So I, I, and I love esoteric ingredients, so it's fun to me to, to gather them. You could open a little tiki um, bar and have Matthew wear a grass skirt and serve everybody. Oh, see, now now it's not going to work. That was the worst idea ever. Yeah, but the opposite of the worst idea is the best one. So keep thinking, keep working on it. <laughs> it's true. You, you might have something there. I'll have to talk to Matthew about that later. But I do love tiki drinks. I, I love to make them and, and drink them too. But um, it doesn't really go, well, it's tropical. What we're having tonight is uh, Cuban pork, mm. uh, black beans and rice, avocado salad, and mojo sauce. No, I, I don't like that. I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs>
Um, and chocolate ice cream for dessert. Oh, okay. That Matthew made. Matthew made it. Yes. You guys have been on a big ice cream kick. You guys are making ice cream a lot, really regularly. Right yes. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And the best time I'll tell you is when you just when it's first made and it's kind of like soft serve. Oh my God, it's so good. That's right when it's then. the best. When mm. it's just like yep. yeah, just the right yep. consistency. That's it. But so we'll have chocolate ice cream cones and brownies for dessert. Well, Johnny. It's been a pleasure to talk to you like this. And it's so interesting. After 30-odd years of friendship, there are things that I didn't know. I think everyone should, like, do a podcast, even if they don't broadcast it. Or even sit down, it, just sit in front of a couple of just, tin cans. And, yeah, <laughs> sit in front of a couple of tin cans yeah. and, and ask questions that, my gosh, I wish I had done this with my parents oh, who had fascinating something. lives, you know? With Auntie Katie. Oh, oh, my well, God. I'd love to hear that. Oh, my God. I'd love to hear that one. Sorry, yeah. Our, our, our tiara-wearing, um, your tiara-wearing aunt. If it was just a tiara, it would have been, I don't know, you could just go, okay. But it was a sequin gown, a tiara, and a white mink coat at 10 in the morning <laughs> every single day. Day. I am so proud to be able to say I met her because a lot of people don't. They, you can't even imagine Auntie Katie unless no. you've met her. No, and she had this young man. She was uh, like 89 at the time, and she had this 24-year-old boyfriend. And it was horrifying and wonderful and amazing all at the same time. It's like, what? And you go, well, you know, he wants the apartment building that she owns. And, of course, he did. He got it. But, you know, at the same time, you salute him and go, good for you. She was happy. Yeah. She was really happy. So, you know, but she was a character. She was. Your, your family, you've, uh, got, you've all, got some characters there. As Django's father would say, all mythological creatures, every <laughs> single one of them. It's true. That's true. That's a good it way was it. kind of like the Munsters, and I'm the normal one, right? Um, I, well, shut up. Normal? <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, do you have any uh, show doing improv and stuff? Do you have any shows coming up? Or? I do. I have a show next weekend, next Saturday, actually. Yeah. Where is it? Uh, the Fanatic Salon Theater in Culver City. And I, I do a show with the Transformers there. I got a guy named Harry Hannigan, Jay Kogan. Um, and Chris Ellis, and we're all writers, and we do we work with four other groups, three other groups, and uh, it's just fun. It's just it's an amazing play. show. It's play. Yeah. I get to play. Is there so somewhere lucky. people can go to see the schedule for uh, when your shows come up? Uh, yeah, um, I do two different shows. I do one uh, on Facebook. If you go to Transformers, it's called Transformers Official and Ordained something anyway it's t-r-a-n-s the number four m-e-r-z you'll find it on facebook and then i do a show called immediate theater with dan castellanetta who is the voice of uh, homer simpson and his wife and a bunch of uh, uh second city improvisers where is that that's also at the fanatic salon and uh that is called immediate theater and that's also on facebook and then sometimes i do the groundlings gas show so I, I, I keep busy. And then I do the show called Instaplay, which I has we haven't done since the uh, uh, since COVID, but hopefully we're going to get back and do that. So I, I, I keep busy with improv and my writing and stuff keeps me going. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Well, thanks for having me. This thanks. was fun. 
Dinner's ready. I'd like another one of those drinks, though, please. <laughs> one more. Oh, really? That's it. I'm cutting if, you if, off. I swear to, to God, I'm going to throw this one. If you, if you... <laughs>